that we have it's a broad question already right. what type of biomedical interventions help kids with autism oh how's that for broad wow yeah so gosh I, okay there's yeah. a lot yes <laughs> so what i guess the best way to answer that is i would start with assessing the child because you really want to identify uh, biochemical dietary uh, nutritional deficiencies mm -hmm. um, or excesses by chemistry sometimes you're just you know excessive across some measure so some of the things that we've found with our kids there are kids who are of course a large number of kids actually are I don't want to say allergic but not able to digest uh, certain nutrients like for instance gluten casein corn soy um, food additives, food colorings, um, all of those types of things. So a specialized diet would be one that's pretty important, I think. Uh, you have to really uh, determine what that would be for your child. Because right, our kids are all different, right? Very and different. And it can be a very different thing from one child to another. Very different, completely different. There are several diets. I mean, uh, we just talked about restrictive diets like the gluten casein-free diet right. or soy and corn-free. But then there's also the specific carbohydrate diet. I mean, there's a lot of different diets and you really have to look into and see which one works for your child. So dietary intervention. Some of the kids have really pretty significant candida issues, yeast, fungal issues. And those children would benefit from uh, both a restriction on things that cause increased growth of fungus, like sugar and so on, right. but also uh, antifungal medications. A lot of kids do much better with nystatin, nizoral, any of the yeah. antifungal medications. So that would be something to look at. Mm -hmm. um, then of course uh, some of the kids have other more serious issues that are happening. Just gastrointestinal inflammation type stuff that needs to be, needs medication that will help it. Um, so that's a whole different area is just GI treatments mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, I mean GI treatments actually for some of our more severe kids can go as, as far as liquid diet you know so that the kids are actually taken off all foods and they are they go through and drink certain liquids that are kind of like protein shakes uh -huh. and that kind of clears out their system and helps them to um, establish probiotic health right. you and know, that's just for a period study. of time not a liquid for a diet forever of time, yeah. right mm -hmm. right um, of course with some of our more severe children children who have really severe aggressive issues or behaviors uh, sometimes the answer is to work with an antipsychotic medication like Risperdal. Just be able to calm the child down a little bit in, and then teach appropriate skills and then you can get the child off of those medications. Some of our kids have so much inflammation, both uh, GI and or brain inflammation, that they do very well on steroids. Right. Um, the, you know, there's it's across the board. A lot of our kids have severe anxiety and in those cases they do very well with antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications like SSRIs or SNRIs. 
um, some of our kids have really significant hyperactivity and they do well with some of the stimulant medications. It really, I'm, I'm open to looking at those things when I see that other interventions don't work. Well, sometimes when we're working with a child and we're trying very hard to get something under control, it might not happen. Um, anxiety is a good example of that. Um, and research does show that the combined medical and behavioral treatment has a much more significant effect than one or the other. Right. So, you know, I think people need to be open to those ideas and um, try to help. All you're doing, I think, with medications is giving your child a few more tools. Yeah. And, I, and I'm guessing that Key is working with a, a professional who really has an understanding of what, what's happening in the field of autism. Yes, I think so. Although you have some professionals that are really good outside the field as well in terms okay. of like, for instance, GI doctors and okay. so on, you know, as long as the, the one problem I find outside the field and more and more people are becoming educated now, but one of the things I find that's disturbing outside the field of autism is that uh, if you go to a, let's say, gastroenterologist and you say, my child has autism, yeah. but at the same time, they can see from a scope or, or uh, just from symptoms that your child has pretty serious GI issues. Right. Sometimes I've heard parents tell me that the doctor will say, oh, but that's just part of the autism. Yes, we hear that a lot. Yeah, and that kind of thing is very disturbing because it really has nothing to do with it. I mean, yeah. it might be causing it actually, but in terms of symptomology, you can't let the autism overshadow right. some sort of medical problem, which is very serious. Yeah. Oh, and here, I just remembered now to answer the question again, sleep disorders, a lot of kids right. have sleep disorders, so melatonin or some other form of sleep aid is very helpful. And the methylation stuff, we haven't oh, talked about that. Oh, of course, the methylation. Well, I mean, the whole concept with kids having, those kids who have high oxidative stress, mm -hmm. they're low methylators, which essentially means they're detoxifying slowly slower than they should be. Those children obviously may, and you have to test this, benefit from some um, meth B12 or some medications yeah. that help methylation. So there's a whole variety. The MAPS group, have we, as we've said before, um, are people who are a little bit more trained in the field of the specific issues that relate to autism. Yeah. But, you know, again, I have to tell parents, you are the parent, yeah. you need to, and it is a very unusual field, you can't go into this field fully trusting anyone, I say, yeah, I because you, you know, years ago, as you know, and I think still today, a lot of parents, when they go to their pediatrician or someone who diagnoses the child, they might tell them, oh, this is, you know, your child's never going to talk, your child's never going to function normally. All that sort of stuff still happens to this day. And these are extremely well-known, respected, reputable professionals saying yeah. these things. So you just have to be careful as a parent because the same thing goes with the treatments. When someone tells you something and it just doesn't quite fit into your understanding or thinking, ask questions, research it, ask other people, try to understand the reasoning behind it. Yeah. A lot of, you know, my son the other day had to, the, his uh, orthodontist was saying he has to have his wisdom teeth pulled because it's blocking his back molars. And I wasn't really convinced until I saw the x-rays. I mean, right. just ask questions and make yeah. sure it makes sense to you. I agree. And I, and I think too, if, if your questions aren't received well, that then there's something wrong. Right. Or not answered well. Right. 
you know so sometimes people answer your questions and you right away know you have a better understanding than they do yes so those are the things I think that are important yeah. Yeah. I'm somebody who has to ask a lot of questions terrific I, you know and I and I there was one doctor that we had talked to and everyone in the office and the doctor said this is not going to be a good fit for us because you're going to ask too many questions you're going to drive me crazy and I really kind of appreciated that right and then went to a doctor who enjoys that I ask a bunch of questions absolutely it's a I better mean, fit it's, for me it's so interesting that you say that because I'm one of those people that really enjoys questions from parents because oh I mean that's why I'm doing this show first of all but no but I, because I think we figure it out together I think we learn it's that my job is not to convince anyone of anything right. I have some ideas of what I why I think a certain child would be behaving a certain way and sometimes parents will tell me things that completely open my eyes to something else yeah. and I'm always learning from my parents and I always feel like the parents know their kids better than I do for sure and so it's always important to listen um, at the same time Time, I know that there are sometimes parents who come to me who will um, have, for instance, the idea that we will just take care of the child and they don't have to do anything else. Right. And I feel that's the type of parent that wouldn't really do well at CARD, for instance, because we really do want our parents to manage, be care you know, yeah. be aware, be involved, be trained, all of that. Um, that, that you know, and I absolutely don't expect every parent to be able to do that. I know I don't think I would be able to do as much as a lot of our parents do. Um, but I know that the, the parents who do get very involved with us are the ones that are successful. Yeah. So I will tell people at intake that like you seem very hesitant about ABA still. I'll even suggest they go and, for instance, see some other parents or see some cases that are being run right now yeah. so that they can see what it looks like. I want them to really understand that we're going to be in their life for a while yes. and intrusive for a while. Yes. So it's just, it's, it's what the real definition of informed consent is yeah. for parents to truly understand what is being suggested before they accept it. Wonderful. I think that's a really important comment. Okay. Um, a, a really long question here okay. that I'm going to read through. Uh, hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. What are the most typical symptoms of, that our kids would display to show reactions to sugar versus reactions to other food allergies versus reactions to digestive problems? I never know what in the world is causing my son to go out of control. I see him acting out by giggling nonstop, talking silly, all talk, all TV talk, hand clapping, not being able to self-control at all. Sometimes the behavior stops on its own. Other times he poops and he's fine afterwards. Mm -hmm. Very interesting information. I am truly clueless what is causing this almost once a day daily behavior. It's like he's drunk and can't be reasoned with. He is 11 and mainstreamed. Any advice? Thanks. Yes, and obviously I have to kind of say, you know, all of this uh, medical and nutritional is not really my area, but from what I've learned, um, when I hear parents say uh, drunk as a descriptor, I definitely want to screen for yeast. Yes. Um, and as we talked about it last week as well with Julie, I do see a lot of our kids who, where you can't really pick a, an antecedent or something that mm -hmm. seems to be causing it, um, that there's yeast issues, fungal issues, and then as Julie also mentioned, sometimes it's just high amounts of yeast, sometimes it's yeast die-off after you've been right. on antifungals, so right. it's hard to tell. Yeah. 
but um, that seems to be something important to check. Yeah. A lot of times um, you will find that there's yeast issues, especially if the child feels better right after having had a bowel movement, it could be yeast. Now, the other things to consider, if the child feels better after having had a bowel, like you need to track some of these things. Yeah. If there's a, usually a bowel movement happening right at the end of the silly period, mm -hmm. then the silly period could actually just be a behavioral reaction to the child feeling that they have to have a bowel movement and trying to control it. Okay. And so a lot of kids do that, not just on our spectrum, but they start to act kind of a little bit uh, out of control or yeah. wild or whatever when they are trying to hold back having right. a bowel movement. So oh. You see this also with kids with encopresis, like okay. just holding uh, bowel movements. Um, another thing, of course, is they could be just having GI pain, you know, so because it's related to somewhat related to bowel movements, that would be important. Sugar, yes, can cause hyperactivity, not just in our kids, but across the board. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that it, I mean, I, yeah, it can cause like complete hyperactivity to the point where the child's laughing, giggling, and yeah. you can't really get them to stop and all that sort of stuff. I would honestly say the best thing to do is, for this parent is to um, have a series of tests done. First of all, identify allergies, right? I mean, you right. could be having some foods or other products in yeah. his environment, your child's environment that are causing some sort of a, um, I don't want to say allergic, but sensitive reaction yeah. in the child. Identify those and then start dropping some of those items like for instance sugar eliminate sugar for a little bit or reduce it right. significantly for maybe a week mm -hmm. and then see if you if there's any difference in the rates of these types of silly behaviors um, talk to someone a physician or nutritionist who uh, can give you advice on some of the other symptoms associated with fungal. Sometimes with the fungal yeast issues, you have um, rashes on the arms, um, you know, your child's a little bit older, so it might not really show. Right. Uh, but I would say those are the two areas. Look at the diet and look at fungus. Absolutely. Yeah. Really interesting information. And I, I've shared before on the show that Jem, we go through, we cycle through yeast issues, but when he was little, it was really pretty severe. And we eventually went yeah. through a bunch of dietary changes and then eventually did um, a Diflucan run. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the die off thing. And I think it's so important to talk about that because I had this expectation that he was going to be better overnight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just going to be my little drunken elf was going to walk gonna straight change. and talk and things were going to change. Yeah. And uh, we had die off and I, I didn't really have a clear idea of what that was going to look like. And it took, I, I think it was exactly 28 days. Wow. Um, I have a, I have a diary somewhere cause I was losing my mind during those 28 days cause Pretty it got worse. Very important stuff you're saying here. and and it was it, it did it got infinitely worse and I thought what have we done he's having a reaction to the medicine and our doctor said you're gonna have to hang it's gonna yeah. he said wonderful. give it at least 15 days wonderful but then when 15 days it was still there he said this was tough yeast we, you got to give me another 15 days and how long did he 
stay on the Daiflukan during this time? He, uh, well, gosh, it's been a while now. So it was like he cycled on for maybe 10, 10 days, days and then the off usual. for 10 days and, right. Then, right. and then on again. It was something like that. It's in the diary. But what happened, you know, we were in the second 15 days and we were getting close to that 30-day mark. And I, we, we went on a little trip and I got to see family members and I was in tears saying, my child has had so much improvement and you're not going to see it because he's a little off right now. And we got back from the trip and I, and it was about four days before kindergarten was starting. And I woke up one morning to a different child. Yeah. And it was amazing because I didn't realize how busy my child was until I saw him still. Yep. And amazing. he and he was still and he looked at me and he talked to me. And I and I remember it literally brought me to my knees and I just cried and I held him and You're I woke like, my husband up happened? and yeah. said, Okay, he you know stopped. it's it you know, this is it. Yeah. This is yeah. the thing that we, you know, have been waiting for that I didn't think was gonna come. Amazing. And it and it truly was a different child that's incredible and this what you just said is so important for parents to hear because very often the die-off is such a negative oh. reaction that people just can't handle it and oh and i was ready to stop absolutely I, was. I, I mean most of the time because you have to i mean i think most of the people out there will realize that as it is, it's so intense mm -hmm. that that's why you start the medication and then it doubles up. Yes. And then you're like, oh my God, how am I going to handle this? So let's say that you really need to just commit a month of your life to this. Yeah. And it is truly a fabulous way to tell whether or not your child has yeast issues because um, you will actually see uh, a pretty you might and some sometimes you don't see that die-off experience but it is one of the more drastic changes it does fungal stuff once you treat it it does produce a pretty significant yeah. change i mean i actually have data on some of our kids where their rate of learning just sped up because yeah. that once they started at uh, medications oh yeah so this particular either diflucan or nizorol or and i'm sure uh, that, that that was the case for jem I, you know somewhere you have all of his papers in, in, a, <laughs> in a storage facility somewhere yes. but i remember that it, it just like Changed shot drastically, up right. it, uh, it was an amazing difference right. and and his uh, the rate of acquisition he was just, just lying through up. things absolutely and so those are things you so important to take care of yes absolutely now the mom who had asked that question uh, wrote in some follow-ups and said he will also squeeze my hand with a look of pain on his face when he's going through these reactions um, and then also added he also takes human growth hormones too so I never know if that could possibly be causing issues that he is unable to mm. communicate to me yeah, I mean, I don't know the side effects of HGH for a child of this age. When, If you say that he's squeezing your hand sort of as if in pain, it makes me wonder if he's going through some gastrointestinal issues uh, that he's not able to vocalize and then he has relief once he's had a bowel movement. I would really think about, um, you know, having a GI doc look at him and figure out if he has any inflammatory issues that need to be dealt with. And somebody else uh, wrote in and said, I've never heard of the medication you're talking about. How is it spelled? I'm assuming the, the medication, that we, the, the Diflucan, but we mentioned Nizorol and Nystatin. And Diflucan is, I believe it's D-I-F-L-U-C-A-N. Yeah. But you can actually look up antifungal medications online and you'll see a whole 
whole array of them. Yeah. And then you can read more about it and talk with a physician. Absolutely. And they're very, it's not like they're new medicines. Not a lot all. of women are prescribed these kinds of things if they have a yeast, yeast infection. infection. Absolutely so, right. Um, and actually, Nystatin is given to uh, children as young as newborns. You know, when a newborn potentially has thrush, you know, their mm -hmm. tongue becomes white mm -hmm. and they give you, some of you will have had that experience, and they will give you a liquid that you pour in the child's mouth when they're an infant, when right. they're like a month old. And um, that's nystatin. That's antifungal. Right. But again, these are all prescription medicines that they have are. to be prescribed by a doctor. You need to be monitored if you're on them to see that's if right. there are other complications uh, as well. So you want to keep that in mind. Okay, we're going to take a short break and come back more with Dr. Doreen Grampiche. If you have questions, now's a great time to put them in on our live feature, www.autism-live. No, yes, I'll get a brain while we're in a break. <laughs> so we'll be back after these messages. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have with us Dr. Doreen Grampiche, a true visionary in the field of autism, an expert Thank who you. you've been working in this field for, I, I really hate to say it because you, otherwise no one would know, uh, but three decades? Yeah, more than three decades. Okay, you really can't tell people more than three decades. <laughs> they won't believe you. They'll think you were walking around in diapers treating yeah. children well, on the I autism mean, I, spectrum. I was, I was uh, lucky because I started uh, college early and ended up being with uh, Professor Lovas right off the bat. So. Yeah. I started very my very first year working with kids with autism when nobody even knew what autism is. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And now we have your great expertise with us and you can ask questions. I, I kind of muffled the, the, the site to go to, but go to www.autism-live.com. That's where you want to go and ask questions. Now we had a question come in during the break. Hey, Shannon and Dr. Doreen, any advice for people on the autism spectrum over 18 trying to get SSI disability? and gets turned down. I'm from Mississippi and I have some limitations that keeps me from living independently. I live with my parents. I don't drive, cook, etc. I wrote in the show before I got accepted to college and my parents are afraid for me to live in a dorm. Any advice for me? Yeah. Heartbreaking. I know. I, and I wouldn't, I don't know why you didn't get uh, SSI. I would probably try to find a, like a lawyer or a legal, free legal clinic where they can advise you on the application for SSI because you should be eligible for SSI. So uh, it has something to do with, you know, they add up the points based on the answers you put on an application. So I think it would be important to talk to a uh, advocate or lawyer who mm -hmm. knows how to work SSI. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, from our previous contact, I think, with this writer, uh, with this listener, they, you're very motivated to go yeah. to college and to gain some independence. And while, on the one hand, I feel we understand your perspective, and I wish there were more um, support groups for some of the teenagers and adults who are trying to get their lives going, and, and just I commend you for 
uh, taking care of these issues for yourself. I just think that's so fabulous. Yeah. And keep going, you know, more I see, I see you. real skill set here that, exactly. you can, that you can write in on our live feature, which a lot of people have difficulty figuring out. And you're well-spoken. You can right. type Absolutely. and good spelling. Major skill sets. So yes. I really wouldn't want you to give up. Yeah. At the same time, I kind of see your parents' point of view because they've helped protect and shelter for so many years and it's very hard for anyone to yeah. let their kids fly. So just keep with it and you know, I think it would be probably helpful if you had a peer group of some type, maybe, uh, maybe not necessarily kids on the spectrum and I don't even know if that exists and maybe I should try to help some of our kids form that. Absolutely. But also uh, just maybe if you have an interest, you know, getting into a group that has similar interests would probably be somewhat supportive for you as well. And I don't, re I don't remember, and you didn't mention in this uh, writing whether whether you're a male or a female. Uh, but for some reason, I think if you're the writer that I think you were before, that it's a female who's writing in. There is a group that's springing up around the country. They're making little chapters called Girl Power. That is girls on the autism spectrum that are, I think, I between that. the ages of 16 and 26, and to support each other. And I don't know if there's one in your area, or maybe that's something you can look into starting in your area. That's uh, you can Google Girl Power. And the other thing that I'm wondering about, if college is of interest, uh, one of the things when I met with Temple Grandin and we were talking about my son and his desire to do science and math, she gave me a bunch of web addresses that are in a, in a blog that we wrote about talking with Temple, because um, I listed all of them in the blog, of places that you can now go online and take college credit classes That's for what I was free, say, yeah. uh, which is an amazing, you, d you don't get the credit, Right. But you get the experience and and it could be really useful to you to be able to do something like that online. And then if you're successful at it, show it to your parents and say, look what I'm capable of doing, because then maybe you could take the, the classes for credit down the road. Absolutely. And I think that you also probably uh, might even be able to get in on a uh, college that has online courses. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of everything. Education is going online very quickly. Yes. So. You know, you might even want to just take an extension course somewhere yeah. online and actually get the credits and show your parents that. But I think the, the your parents are probably aware of how intelligent you are and probably just scared uh, to for all yeah. the social reasons rather than, you know, academic reasons perhaps. Right. And so I think it's just a matter of uh, time and you just keep going at it and showing them um, how much you really want to do this. Yeah. And I hadn't heard about this group that you mentioned. Girl power, yeah. But it sounds really fascinating. I want to look into it. Okay. Maybe since you have a uh, new intern now, yes. maybe she can remind me later um, that uh, to look up girl power. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure she's in there taking notes. We yeah. haven't introduced her on the show yet, but we need to do that. We yeah. have a new intern here that we're very excited about. Yes. Uh, and you're familiar with her. I'm That's all we'll say. <laughs> Okay, somebody wants to know, are probiotics like antifungal medicines? It's biomedical week here, that mm -hmm. people have a lot of biomedical great. questions. It is great. Um, so are probiotics like antifungal medicines? No, they function uh, absolutely differently, but have the same results. So it's kind of an interesting question. Mm -hmm. So probiotics are healthy bacteria. That's what they are. They're bacteria that's good for you. Mm -hmm. And by taking mass quantities of them, you're populating your gut with the appropriate bacteria that by the way, you had, most people have when you're born, right. not everybody, but most people have when you're born, um, and that is the bacteria, or very shortly after that, and that's the bacteria that helps you stay healthy, actually, and 
a million different ways yeah. uh, from digestion to just immune mm -hmm. functioning um, and so you want to be able to take probiotics but I have to say that I don't think we have, I mean, and, and you go to a, a Whole Foods or something like that and they have a lot of probiotics, yes. but I, the, you can't even come close to replacing the probiotics that you normally would have or should have. And so you really want to uh, take the strongest, the most complete probiotic and do it for a very long time. Um, at the same time, antifungals are simply just destroying yeast. Right. So if you don't have healthy bacteria, yeast is going to uh, grow faster. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, uh, I guess, similar to thinking that if you put bread outside, it'll you'll have mold on it faster than if you refrigerate it, for mm -hmm. instance. Or mm -hmm. so. Um, yeast will grow faster in the absence of probiotics, so the probiotics will delay the growth of the yeast, the antifungals will kill it. So together they are reducing yeast and just giving you a healthy flora. Okay. I was I refer to my son as having his little ecosystem. Yes. They we're co constantly yes. trying to get the balance on the ecosystem and Absolutely. some days we get it and other days we don't. That's right. Uh, but it makes a huge difference in how productive he is and uh, yeah. sometimes how compliant he is because he'll just be squirrely That's if he's right. a little off, you know? And you know, it's amazing when you when we do this show I realize how much more our parents of kids with autism are connected to the biochemistry and the physiology of their children. Like you just, you look at it so much more. I mean, every time I leave here, I think I should do this test for the, my child, my own kids, you know, like that test, and I should look at this and I should, and we don't, when you have typically developing kids, you don't pay attention to a lot of this stuff, even though it's extremely important. Yeah. Well, every time we leave here, I want to do a new test on Gem, and I go, <laughs> yeah. I, we need to do this and we need to do that, so I think it's catchy. Okay, somebody wrote in and said, my child chews on his hands. How can I make that stop? Right. Well, uh, so the first question always is why? Yeah. Why does he chew on his hands? So now there's a lot of different reasons that could be happening. Um, you know, like nail biting, chewing on your hands could potentially be just an anxiety type reaction. So it's kind of like, uh, just something you do when you're nervous. Mm -hmm. Okay, if that's the case, then you are looking at ways to reduce anxiety and give your child a better way to handle when he's nervous. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be just what we, you know, uh, let's say some of the kids who have self injurious type mm -hmm. behaviors. I don't know the severity, I don't know the frequency, um, so I'm not sure what this is, but. Uh, I also don't know the settings within which it occurs. Maybe the writer can write back into us. But you know, self-injurious behavior usually, I think, happens either because, again, we're nervous or um, we want to feel. You know, like this is the same concept as uh, teenagers who do cutting. Mm. You know, so it's sort of like uh, you are perhaps that's also kind of related to anxiety and depression, actually. Mm -hmm. But I mean, perhaps you want uh, a. a strong enough sensation that will ground you or make you feel like you're in control, mm -hmm. um, give you a sense of safety. Um, the behavioral response to this question is really, you block it, so you don't really want to allow it, and there's many ways to do that. Um, 
but while you're blocking it, you also want to teach something more functional. And in order to teach something more functional, you kind of have to figure out why right. it's happening. And that's why I was trying to tell, start with why does it happen? Because that's the, the behavior you teach that replaces it has to fulfill the reason it's happening. Right. Um, so, you know, if it's anxiety, you really want to teach some other good method or technique that the child can engage in that will help reduce his anxiety. Perhaps even something that um, doesn't allow hand biting. Like for instance, maybe you give your child an object that they carry in their uh, pocket and they, whenever they start to feel that, they take the object and, and squish it, mm -hmm. like those squish balls. Right. Something, something that's distracting and, in, and prohibitive of the behavior. Right. Okay. So that's sort of uh, the functional replacement. The blocking, if it's not very frequent, you just prevent it. You right. literally prevent it. You hold the child's hand when they're about to do it. If it's pretty frequent, that you know these things they have that are for um, nail biting. Uh -huh. I forget what is what they're called. They use, they have them at all general pharmacies, drugstores. I think they're called no bite or something. Okay. And it's just a bitter tasting thing, and you would put that on the child's hand. Okay. Because then when they go to bite, they Doesn't won't like the taste. Okay. Right. And they'll stop. And that's the easiest way to stop those types okay. of behaviors. So you, while you want to prevent it from happening, you also want to give the child a different out. Okay. It's, this goes right along with our, our week in jargon this week, because on Monday, our jargon was replacement behavior. And I believe on Friday, it's competing behavior. That's awesome. So yeah. <laughs> that's great. Competing behavior is always better. Like sometimes I would tell, you know, when kids are doing too much fidgeting with their hands, mm -hmm. and this is the concept of, you know, old teachers would tell you sit on your hands ah. because it's competing. You can't right. do the, the other while you're sitting on your hands. But I think with this child, it might be beneficial to just practice the blocking for a while and then give them some other activity that engages their hands. Okay, great. I love this next question. I'm going to take my seven-year-old with autism on a plane and I'm nervous. Oh. I don't know what to expect. How can I prepare him and myself for turbulence or for a turbulence-free flight? Uh, which, you know, good luck because <laughs> my sister-in-law has suggested I sedate him. That sounds scary to me. Okay. So seven-hour flight is a, a seven-year-old child. Seven -year -old we child. don't know how, long, don't know the how long the flight is. Seven, I, I guess mean, that I, does make a difference, doesn't it? Oh, how sure, long the flight sure. is. And I also don't know um, what you're anticipating. Like I don't know uh, how yeah. you know what are the behaviors you're afraid will occur. Right. So I guess there's a few different things you can do. First is uh, make sure he's tired. Okay. okay. So uh, you know maybe keep him up. A little bit longer than the night before. Interesting. Um, that would never have occurred to me. Can I just say that would yeah. never have occurred to me? I would be trying to make sure that he was well slept. Sure, because that. But then he'll be more active on the right, flight. Of right. Of course, it makes total sense. But it wouldn't have occurred to me. So um, already, so thank you. Paired <laughs> with that is, um, you know, don't be afraid of when you say my child says to give him medication. Yeah. Use a very benign medication, which is Benadryl. Okay. Benadryl is terrific. It's caught, you know, sort of what you take when you have allergies, right? Right and um, you can buy it everywhere. Yeah. And Benadryl will make him somewhat drowsy, which is perfectly good. Yeah. And then this is what I used to do when I had three small children and we were taking kind of 11 hour flights to Europe. 
um, I would like go out to the 99 cent store or something and I'd buy a whole ton of little gifts yeah. and I'd wrap each one in like aluminum foil or something uh -huh. that takes a while to open. Okay. And then I would um, write, and also from when we get on the plane and sit down, um, I, and by the way, some children have a hard time with just buckling in. Yeah. So that's something you perhaps want to practice mm -hmm. before. So your child actually uh, learns to be buckled in and stay for, let's say, the duration of about five minutes or so, maybe 10 minutes. Uh -huh. And that's something you can practice ahead of time by just shaping. Okay. Because that seems to be a very traumatic event for some families because the child is just so hyper, they don't want to be buckled in. Right. But I mean, if you can practice this, and most kids get used to it in the car. Yeah. So if you can practice it, though, at home, not in the car, but at home, and perhaps if your child is able to look through a book or something that'll get them, keep them engaged for 10 minutes, that'll be great. I uh, Usually I would give my kids something to drink or uh, a lollipop during the takeoff and oh, during landing yeah. because that will help their ears. So right. you're kind of assuring they don't have pain going on. Uh -huh. And then you pull out one of those gifts uh -huh. approximately every, I don't know, 30 minutes or something. Okay. And that will help engage the child with opening it up and then playing with it right. for a period of time. Really the, the, the answer is, um, I think our kids only kind of tend to freak out if they are uh, bored, which yeah. is usually if they feel confined. Yeah. So you want to let your child walk up and down the aisles when they can and get some activity. And if they're a little bit hyper, and yeah. so that's why you kind of want to mellow them d down a little bit, but keep them engaged. That's the biggest thing. Okay. Um, because I think a lot of our kids do really well if they're busy. Yeah. And I, I just had to fly a bunch of times with Jem, and he's significantly older now. I have to say that having a DS or on one trip we took a kin Oh, God, yeah, just, nowadays with technology, uh, it's like, I, I don't even, the, like, it's so much easier for the kids. But the gift thing, because what I did see is that on takeoff and landings, you know, then he had nothing to do. So I love right. the idea of the gifts and having something, a fidget toy or something, especially during those times. Right, you know, like, and again, depending on the, it's a seven-year-old, so you know those little puzzles that you have to balance, yes. those really keep the kids busy. You have to think what his, what this child's interests are, and it doesn't even matter if they're somewhat self-stimulatory at this point, right. because really your goal is not to work on self-stimulatory behaviors <laughs> at this moment. Right. Your goal is to keep the child, uh, you know, calm during a long flight. Yes, so. absolutely. Great, great advice. Okay. Uh, oh, th this is a question that came in last week. I'm thinking of moving to California. Are there schools for autism you could recommend? Who pays for the schooling there? Is there a voucher system? Okay. So. Um, there are schools, and I wish I knew more about this child, this parent's concerns, because I'm not there. I'm not sure you're even looking for a school. I can't respond to that. California is a pretty uh, great state in terms of uh, what it provides you if you have a child. So you can you have pretty much the majority of the districts will have some sort of a autism program. First of all, so. Okay. 
you don't you're not really even looking for a autism type school that doesn't exist anymore but and there are many 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 school programs for kids with autism and you'd have to go and evaluate and depending on where you move each district has different resources but in addition to that so those are public programs so yes they're free to you but in addition to that obviously you do have the support of the regional center system in California which um, is part of the Department of Developmental Services and they do fund kids with autism um, depending on the specific needs if you have health insurance in California you will have coverage um, depending again on your age of your child's age and so on and so forth and then of course districts school districts here in California also provide some coverage so you have three different sources of funding for your child's needs generally if it's educational needs the school district is responsible for that if it's more adaptive uh, safety, those types of issues, the, the Department of Developmental Services or regional centers are, take responsibility for that and everything else like an ABA program in home and so on is uh, uh, the responsibility of the insurance now. So you have a lot that you can do in California. Uh, perhaps if you write back in and tell us uh, your, the specific needs of your child, then I can also recommend regions. Okay, um, and I do think, because we've had several questions a lot, so I think I actually do have the email for this person that I can give you so that you can talk directly to them. Great, yeah, because the regions are different, the districts are different, okay. um, and you the, the regional centers are different too. Yeah. I mean, some regional centers will even pick up your copay, others won't yet. Yeah. There's a lot of issues to consider. Yes, and in the next hour, we're going to be talking about some legislation that's going to be helpful, and you've been very involved in some legislation here to help with those kinds of things, and, I, and I'm hoping that down the road we're going to get to the point where regional centers are across the board, yeah, that, that one. What, one, what one regional center gives that another one has to give so that it isn't, there isn't this huge disparity that I just don't understand. That's right. It's so important. I was really worried because I thought that one, that bill might be dropped, but it's still being carried. It's, we, we really are trying very hard to just um, get the support from the regional centers so that families can access their health insurance, yeah. you know, and that would be, as I said, some of the regional centers have been very generous with helping families with co-pays, and yeah. that is just incredible. It's it opens up the possibility yeah. to years of funding. It's and it's it's what's right. Right. It, it's really what's right. And and I have to say that when uh, whenever we talk about things in California, I want to remind everybody: if you're sitting there thinking, "What does this have to do with me? I'm in India," or "What does this have to do with me? I'm in Kansas," you know, somebody has to get a ball rolling at some point and once and california is a very big state there's a lot of kids with autism oh and if we set a precedent here in california it will move to other places we've seen it that does. happen absolutely and it's not even always california being the first absolutely I mean, I arizona arizona was with insurance and you know autism speaks thanks to autism speaks they really did a incredible job over the last yes. few years with moving the insurance mandates and reform forward and you know act today you'll be talking with yes. nancy next and we're doing as much as we can to help families with the co-pays as well yeah. so that's a big thing and yeah things do tend to spread and you know, if not, if you're in India or somewhere, you, you might be a parent that can make a big change for other parents, just like Absolutely. we were talking about last week about or a couple of weeks ago with our South Africa families. And Absolutely. The change they've made in that region. So, yeah, just 
we have to keep plotting along. A lot has changed. A it lot. There was zero has. funding when I started. You know, so you have a new saying on the wall upstairs, and, I love we, that, and yeah. we had our fabulous intern take a picture of it. And I think Emily has access to it. I didn't tell her that we were going to do it right now, uh, but it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're talking about. Can we show that picture, Emily? Can we can we put it full screen so that they can see it? Because uh, I can't remember exactly what it's. I think it it's something I had, like. Uh, yeah, I had it written down. There it is. Welcome to the community of people who have decided that easy will no longer suffice, and this is very true. And there's a part of me that wanted to cross out easy and say impossible, right? Because sometimes, you know, in this field, everybody tells us it's impossible. There's yes. no way this is ever going to happen. Right. And hey, guess what? It happens. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, and I, I've gotten so inspiration, so much inspiration here from you and from parents that are here uh, to realize that there are so many things that we can do that I, I, I find myself always now thinking of, okay, well, what's possible? Right. If we, we run up against an obstacle, all right, well, what's How do possible? How we solve it, right? You right, know, that, right. that may be true. Uh, I think this is the act so stuff true. wearing off on me, too. So that, true. you know, all right, that might be true. This problem is here. That's right. That, you know, you, you now have insurance, but you have this huge copay. Yeah. Uh, it's there. That's but right. how are we going to get around that? Uh, what are we going to do? Right. right. Uh, and we have lots of things that we talk about here about how, how to figure out and uh, resources for figuring that out. Emily, do we have time for one more question? Uh, okay, another biomedical question. Oh. Why don't pediatricians tell everyone to try the GFCF diet? It can't hurt, right? Hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. a great question. Um, I guess because we would probably be putting a lot of businesses out of business. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about it, I think um, let's start with just casein free. I mean, if you say casein free and you generally, yeah, to answer your question, I am one of those people that tends to be very hesitant with gluten and casein. I mean, I, my kids, generally speaking, weren't, when they were younger, were not exposed to a lot of milk. Let's right. really put it that way. I was very restrictive on milk for them. And, um, and for my son, for a few years, he just was not allowed milk. But, you know, if we were to say that, I mean, look at, think of the, the industry of uh, dairy industry in this uh, country and how strong it is. So yeah. I, I think you'd end up getting a tremendous amount of pushback. Yeah. Um, and gluten as well, obviously, the first, you know, uh, genetically modified food ever was wheat. Right. Which is potentially why we now have a lot of issues with the digestion yeah. of wheat. But uh, to be able to say that, I guess, I think what it, what it would result in is it would put up, it would be the same kind of mistake that was made with vaccines. Mm. I think initially when we went, when, you know, a lot of uh, discussion came up on the vaccine issue, and a lot of people just said, no vaccines, no vaccines, whereas really it shouldn't have been no vaccines. It was more, uh, can we actually do testing that will allow us to see which kids shouldn't be vaccinated right. so young or right. which kids uh, need their vaccines to be spread out? That's right. what we really wanted. But because there was this huge, like, no vaccine reaction, um, then the vaccine lobby just yeah. uh, said, hey, these guys are causing epidemics. This is becoming a big issue and we need right. to fight back. So at this point, if you say, no, you know, no gluten and no casein for any 
anyone, right. I think you would just end up causing a lot of fight back from uh, the wheat right. and whole grain industry and the dairy industry. And it'll cause a lot of confusion and chaos for people who are lost and new to the right. system. So better is, is for us to say, you know, really look at the reaction and the allergic right. reaction, the sensitivity reaction that your child has, yeah. and then do the diet if you need to. And having said that, Shannon, just I'm, I'm astonished when I look at the accessibility to gluten-free products over the yes. past five years. I mean, it's I can't amazing. even believe it. It's, it's crazy. And you can go to Walmart Anywhere. and find a Betty Crocker cake mix that is gluten-free. Yes. It's crazy. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. But I, and I, I, I love what you said because I, I'm a big proponent of obviously in my life, one size does not fit all. That's right. <laughs> right. That's and right. so if it isn't true for us, it wouldn't be true for our kids. And right. even saying GFCF, one size cannot fit all. Right. Um, and I do think that pediatricians are mindful of the fact that it is at least the beginning of doing a GFCF diet can be if you don't have a lot of support stressful and I don't think that they I, I would guess that a lot of them feel like parents would not be amenable to that it's hard it's very hard to especially do. in the beginning and I think if you don't have support it doesn't have to be hard and we have you know uh, people in talking all the time about how easy it can be once and with access to all these products now it really is amazing that you can go to a restaurant now almost any restaurant and ask for the gluten-free gluten menu, menu and yeah. they don't look at you like you've just stepped off amazing. of the crazy train. Yeah, um, it's that very would be exciting. Very good information. Once we start gathering some stuff and putting it online for parents, it would be really good information to tell them a list of restaurants that actually have gluten free. Absolutely. And also just like steps you can take to make your kitchen gluten free. Absolutely, uh, stuff that, that we can we can cover. Even Disneyland. I, I, I love going to Disneyland, and and you go and you get the gluten free menu, and crazy? you put in the order, and you can order it a day in advance if you want to. It's, it's amazing. Very exciting world that we. We live in.